Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Luke 4.42. I love this moment because it's, uh, this is the high tide in Jesus' ministry. It's, it's the height of his popularity. And I don't know whether you've hit your sweet spot in life and you've seen... Um, it's just a great moment, great season in life. You've had the promotion, the money's coming in, it's going well, the kids are killing it at school and, and it's all going right. This is sort of that season for him and it's easy to get caught up in the, in the uh, momentum of that. So it says, at daybreak Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. And, and just pause for a moment on that idea of a solitary place. I hope you have a solitary place. I hope you have a moment in your day, and please don't feel obligated to go, oh no, <laughs> I know how tough this is in 21st century life. Some of us sleep with our mobile phones next to us, the first thing we, get, we do in the morning, the stats are, the majority of people do this, the first thing they do in the morning is flip open their phone and check Facebook, or, or the myriads of emails that come in. There is no solitary space left for so many of us. Um, I know when kids come, it's like the moment you get up to have your quiet time, the kids just miraculously, supernaturally, or they're possessed by the devil, I can't tell which, but it's just they come and there's, there's your quiet time, gone, for 25 years, you know, it's like, where's, where's my life? Um, but so when you're in your work life and you know you've got to get up, you've got a to-do list that's, that's eight months long and, and it's like, look, I could sit here for an hour and a half with God or I could just get to this list of things that, well, he's given it to me anyway, it's his blessing, so surely this is the plan. But the solitary place, Jesus went to the solitary place and it's that place where you can read scripture and you can just ruminate on that, just allow yourself the rhythm to chew over scripture, to listen to what the Spirit's whispering in your heart. So life will always conspire to rob you of that. But Jesus always found the solitary place. It helps us to recalculate. See, life's path has plenty of very attractive detours that take you off what's best to take you into what's good, what's before you, what screams at you, what's urgent. It's even important, but it, it clamours at you to draw you away. And for some of us, those sidetracks look like the main road. It could have easily happened for Jesus here. The crowds were there, but he said, I'm going back to the solitary place. The main road head to the crowd, but Jesus headed to the solitary place. And it's that lovely just space where one scripture can invade your heart or a really thoughtful devotion can echo with you for weeks and weeks. Um, I had one I shared on Facebook. I, sometimes I think I just share too many of my own thoughts in a public forum, but I, I, I listen to podcasts a lot and, and just this pastor who I greatly respect said, you know, the idol of idol of success finds a great place, to, easy place to hide in a local church. And I thought, man, are you battling with that as well? You know, and he just went on to talk about the whole idea that, you know, we, we, we get in the ministry for, for, for one person, but then it becomes the crowd. And I could so relate to that. Even with this church, we started it for the, the one person. But when you, you open the lights, turn the lights on the first day and open the doors and there's 150, 200 people and suddenly it's not one person, now it's the crowd. And you don't know the crowd yet and so it's like, but is the crowd the main road or is crowd a detour in your own heart? And you have a crowd as well. And, and the crowd can often be mistaken for God's blessing in your own life. 
the detour that goes off, the promotion that takes you away from your family too much, or the, the pay rise, twice the pay you're getting now, and you think, God's blessed my life. Surely this is his will for my life. But it's a road quite often that leads you away from the solitary place with God. And you look back in years to come and you wonder whether that was God's blessing on your life or what it was. And so this crowd that Jesus was confronting is in this high tide of his life, they, met, they presented with him good opportunities for ministry. There was plenty to say, there was plenty to do, but there's something about a crowd. And I'm not a, I'm not a crowd guy. I don't know whether that's an admission or what that is. It's just a window into my soul. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a big crowd guy. I can quite easily find myself lost there because I'm an introverted by nature. Many of us are. It's like you start a churches of Christ church that ring the bell and all the introverts come home. You know, we, we, we all just like to do our thing in silence, you know, and I'm like that too. And yet, and yet I love people enough, and I love God's causes enough that I'll, I'll do anything to, to proclaim the gospel and, and grow his church because I love the church. But as soon as we lose it, we're the fact that the crowd runs us. And crowds are fickle things because crowds applaud one moment, they, they clamour for attention the next, they switch allegiances when the wrong thing's said, they consume endlessly, and for all that a crowd can bring your life, they isolate you. And crowds are largely nameless, have you noticed that? It's, 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 just, it's just a thing, it's a swarm, and, and think of this as your workplace, think of this as your community, think of this like, we all because we all have a crowd. And it might not be like me where I'm sort of preaching to a group today. Your crowd might be your workplace where it's faceless and nameless and if you fail or you succeed, you, you can get spat out in a heartbeat because it comes down to what the performance stats are at the end of the month. Or, um, I was shown a website yesterday and it was so humorous. Uh, speakers in sneakers. It was like Christian speakers and they, they had these sneakers and I didn't realise sneakers cost hundreds of dollars. Like, who does that? Like, I, I am really out of touch. I have to admit it. Like, I, I've, I've always been a bit of a dag. I've never been a style guy. But, oh, you look at this shirt, you'd think otherwise. I probably, I, but if anything I wear looks good, just look to Jess, my daughter, okay? It normally points to her. But this website is... Speakers with sneakers. And so these guys, they make sure their pants are rolled up just high enough to have these, sometimes sneakers worth thousands of dollars. Like, how do you actually spend thousands of dollars on shoes? Can anyone tell me how to do that? Like, where do you do that? Who sells shoes for thousands of dollars? It's like, and who buys them? Preachers, apparently, in America. And, uh, but why? I'm not judging their heart, they probably just love sneakers, but who cares enough to create a website? It's like the crowd judging these guys, you know? And God knows why they want to do it anyway, but, but let's leave that between them and God. But you get this whole crowd thing going on. For some of us, it's social media. And we put a post on, and I, wrote, I read a study recently on social media that talks about why do we consistently go back? Why do we consistently check our email? Why do we do this stuff? It's because we're looking for good news. We're looking for a high. We're looking for a, a, an injection of something that's good. And so you might check your email and you'll see three there from the people you don't want to engage with. That's bad news, bad feeling. Don't like that. Shut the phone, go on. But, you just, but the hope there is that there's a stimulant there that makes your life worth living this minute. It's a dopamine hit. It, it's, it's, it's a chemical thing. Um, but it becomes the crowd because social media, it's, it's nameless, it's faceless, it's, it's anonymous. They're not engaged with you. It's not, it's not you. It's not heart to heart and face to face and nose to nose. 
And so crowds can work against you, your workplace or whatever it might be. And with Jesus, the crowds tried to keep him from leaving. This is the trap of everyone who's successful at anything. The crowd forms. And the crowd aren't your friends. They're just in that circle that, that are impacted by you. And they, they clamour with you and, and ask you to stay. They, can't you see the numbers? Can't you see the success in your life? This promotion that you've had? I know it's costing you 80 hours a week and you only see your kids once a month. But look at the money, look at the blessing and look at what you can do for God one day. And it's like, it clamours to keep you tied up in the vortex of this thing. People start to say, it must be God's will. See the blessing there. There's a crowd here now. Look at God's blessing. This must be what matters. And then you, but you try to pull out and people say, no, you can't do that. There's so much need here for you. If you leave, it'll never be the same. Who's, who's going to help? Where's your loyalty to these people? Where's their loyalty to you? And we, we, we misplace the kingdom based on what sort of metric our life begins to run by. But what I love about this passage is that Jesus left that crowd with the work still to be done. They were there. There was endless needs there, endless crowds. And, and he turned away from them to be, to be with God. He wasn't prepared to let the good thing rob him of the greatest thing. And we need to be really clear what is the great thing? What is the thing worth pursuing? Is it the crowd? Is it success? How do you measure success in your life? Jesus measured it in a very different way to what we do. He wasn't prepared to let the good thing rob him of the greatest. See, giving impressive wisdom to hundreds of people was of some benefit, but it lacked that relationship, and it's too easy to be objectified, to be an object, and to objectify a crowd, to objectify your workmates, to objectify the people on social media, whatever it is in your life. It lacks that relationship. And the most powerful number in God's kingdom, Jesus shows us here, is one. The most powerful number is one. And this can sound consumeristic if you, if you look at it from completely the wrong lens. But you look at Jesus' life and he always boiled life back down to one person. It was either one person he ministered to or it's this one God that he was with. And engaging with one reveals the value of the person. You, you, you remember his parables, there's always a lost coin, there was a lost sheep. Let's leave the 99. I've got to go find the one because the one's lost. You guys, you're okay, good. I need to find this one. And one person always mattered to Jesus because to him, he wants us and knows that we need to be known, that we, we're not a crowd. We're not a huge movement. We're just, we're, just, we're just little old us and we need to know that we're known, that someone's got our back, that God gets us. He knows the situation and he cares, that, we're not, that he's not more worried about the crowd than he is about just one person. But you're not a face in the crowd to Jesus. You're the one who matters. You're the one he's pursued and he'll always pursue you. And so in that solitary place, it connects you back with God. It connects you with him as one. Because it's all, Christianity is all about one. One to one. You to him. That's what really matters. Psalm 113.5 says, Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? Very deliberate language there. You could easily skip over this and say, Oh, he's just the one. No, he is the one, capital O, he is one. It's, a, it's a, an echo back to um, the Hebrew Shema. It was the most frequently quoted scripture in, in Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one God. That, that word one was ihad, one of my favourite uh, Hebrew words because I just like to go ihad. Uh, and it means one, it's beautiful, it means uh, composite unity, integrated oneness of many things, many into one. 
And the deeper the Hebrew scholars go into that, it literally meant literally three. Three, beca- three become becoming one. This, this parakletos, the dance, the rhythm of the closed dance of God in the paraclete, in the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so this unity, this oneness is what he wants. The most important number in the kingdom is one. But you can't be one with a crowd. You can't be one with all those people out there. And there just comes a time where you've got to find your solitary place with God or someone else where you're just the one. And something's lost in our soul, even in this place. And I'm, I'm recalibrating my soul on this weekly. Because if we start to become a crowd here, then we've lost the kingdom. We understand that? This is not a crowd. We don't do crowd here. <laughs> We're not going to look for a bigger building and get a bigger crowd. This is all y'all. This is, this is us, like that. Ihad. This is one. So if you haven't found oneness yet, that's your job. That's your mission here, is to find someone, find some people. At any cost, find someone and get known and do that because it matters. We need to connect. Why do we need to connect? Listen to Jesus in John 17. My prayer is is not for them alone, talking about the disciples. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. The Greek version of Ichad. All of them may come and do this. Jesus' idea for church is not a crowd. It's one. To be known. Father, just as you and I, you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. Here you see, the whole, this is a whole church strategy and evangelism strategy right there. How do you build a church? Become one. How do you build a Christian? Become one. How do you outreach? Be one together because the world goes, man, what have they got? I need that. Evangelism, done, right there. Just demonstrate oneness with God and with people and you're evangelising. It's so attractive to people, oneness. The greatest outreach ever. I don't know how I strategize that, but um, whatever. So we're not here to build a crowd, we're here to build you. That's a little meme that we have. I don't know whether you're, you're into Facebook much, but we sort of play out. It's been going out since we started. We're not here to build a crowd, we're here to grow you. And it's had so many likes, it's our most popular little thing on Facebook, uh, so the stats tell us. Um, but if we do that well, you don't need to worry if that means that more people come. Now, if we get this right, there will be more people come here, but it, all that means is that there's more of us to help more people feel one. And if we fill this room, then we'll just fill another room and we'll just do it all again and, and, and it'll be fine. Um, but we're not going to bow here to the idol of success. We're not going to just become enamoured with, with, with numbers and, and all that sort of stuff. It means it's an opportunity for, for God inviting you to reach out and love someone else. Because the paradox in all this thing isn't that you come here and wait for people to connect with you. This never seems to work, as much as we love it to be that way. But for someone to grab your hand, your hand's got to be out. You got, it only needs one hand. To hang around, to, to find someone who's sitting on their own on a Sunday and say, can I buy you a coffee? To, to walk around the, ca- the cafeteria and just, can I sit with you guys? They're not going to go, no, we don't do that here. Um, or if they do, come and see me, you know, like... <laughs> That'll be the first church discipline we do here. But, uh, but don't wait to be, to be found. Find someone. Your goal and, and your greatest joy, I find, is, is to reach out, extend a hand, just walk across that room and just say good day to someone and ask them about their story. And you know what happens then. Jesus, it's just the way God works. As we cease worrying about ourselves, that all the other things that we hope would happen, happen. 
all the things that we need, he gives us. The, the connection, the relationship and so on happens. So what happened when Jesus went to the solitary place? What did it look like when he could recalculate from this place? It moves on. This, was just, this all came from a quiet time I had this week. and I was just loving as, as the Lord was speaking. You just turn the page and here's what happens next. So Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him. There it is again, the crowd. Wherever he went, the crowd was there and listening to the word of God. But what happens next, if you open up your Bible and maybe you want to do this in your own time at home, um, he was talking to the crowd. This is that really famous scene where he calls Simon. There's a crowd and you can get the impression, oh, he's being forced back into the water. He goes, hey, who's got a boat? Get me out of here. But he's talking to the crowd, but his eyes on Simon. Because Simon and his brother Andrew have been following him for weeks. If you do a correlation between the Gospel of John and Mark um, and, uh, and Luke, you see this picture where Simon's on the hunt for someone worth following. And he hears about John the Baptist. So he goes and tracks down John the Baptist. Realise this guy, he's nuts. Right? He's, he's, he's Old Testament, he's grasshoppers and honey. This guy, he's, I'm a fisherman, I'm not buying this deal. He tries to get out. His brother comes in and says, you need to hear this other guy. Jesus. So he checks out Jesus. Interesting. Follows him back up to, up to Capernaum. Turns water into wine. He goes, now you got my attention. Goes back to fishing and now they're on the crowd there. And so here's Simon. And, and Jesus is aware Simon's been tracking him for a few weeks. He's liked him on Facebook. He's, he's watching the Instagram posts. It's all going on there. But he's following. He's followed Simon. And so as he's with the crowd, he turns back and he says, cast the boat out and gets in the boat and uh, uh, Simon said, look, we've been trying to catch fish all night. He said, look, just do it again. Just chill and trust me. And he catches the biggest catch of his life. And it's just one of those earth-shattering moments where he just, he's aware. He's been watching and waiting. Is this guy the one? Now he's got a boat full of fish. He's up to his knees in this stuff. And his eyes are like saucers and his knees are knocking. And he goes, I am actually in the presence here of God in the flesh. And he's been trying to catch fish and Jesus has just caught him. A fisherman's just been caught. And you start to see the heart of Jesus. He's, to do this, he's turned away from the crowd. For one. It's the first thing he does. He goes back and he says, I just want you. Just like he looks at you today. But just like as he's looking at you, and he says, I just want you. I would have died for just you. There's, there's, there's a little one-on-one test. He can't do this to the crowd. And you start to see the process he takes Simon through. It's not just the way we quickly read it in Scripture where I cast the net. You know, there's all this heart attitude that he's having to deal with. Because if Jesus eyeballs you and says, I want you, there's ramifications to this. So you've got to be prepared to follow. So there's an obedience test. He's going, hang on, Jesus, you're a carpenter, you're a speaker, I'm fisherman, I have boat, I know what I'm doing, you know nothing. You're telling me to go do this. And so there's this test. And so Jesus will often challenge you in the area of your life of your greatest expertise and say, how about you drop that and you just trust me and be counterintuitive? It's an obedience test. Watch it. If Jesus starts to give you this stuff, he's about to call you to follow him. But he's got to test your heart first because if you're going to follow, it's probably going to make no sense. So out he goes, out in the deep water. And it becomes a followership test. Jesus, once he's proved his case, Simon says, depart from me. Jesus says, no, no come, I want you to follow me right here, right now, drop it. Be prepared to come. Be careful. When Jesus locks eyes, this is why religion is so much more attractive to fallen humanity than Christianity, which is a relationship, because this Christian thing is going to cost you. 
It costs you nothing as far as uh, paying the price of your sin. But if you want to buy in on this deal, it's all or nothing. He says, now you're going to follow? Because this is, this is between you and me now. Are you in or are you out? And not only, I'm not going to make you rich and famous, Simon. Simon, sort of, he might have thought that. Rome, Jesus, weak, strong, I'm with him. He says, no, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You've been catching fish, you've been doing good. You just saw that I'm even better. But when we get this thing together, we're going to get you catching some fish, catching some real people, and it's going to matter. It's a kingdom test. This is what happens when you get along with Jesus. It's confronting. It's going to rub you. It says, are you going to follow? Are you going to obey? And I'm not, obeying you to, I'm not calling you to riches. I'm calling you to the kingdom of God, the greatest endeavor the world's ever seen. There's never been anything like it before, never since, and there never will be. Then this thing he's calling you into right now. This is a part of it, but this, is, this isn't all the kingdom. It's radical, it's wild, it's dangerous at some times, it's risky, it's scary, it's uncomfortable. That's what he's calling us into. This is what happens when you get into the solitary place with God. You can avoid this, you can skip these bullets all you like, as long as you like. You can play church, you can play religion, but he's calling you into a solitary place. Don't let your life rob you, because it's good, of what's great. Go into the solitary place. Let's just pray for a moment. Let's just stop. Let's just stop. Let's just close our eyes. Don't let life rob you. Just fix your eyes straight on Jesus right now. He's close. He's right there, nose to nose. And he's saying to you, you matter to me. You matter. And what you do in your life matters too. And I'm calling you. Will you do anything I ask? Will you follow whatever the cost? Will you let me reshape you from Simon into Peter? Will you say yes? Consider before you say yes what, what you're saying no to. You're saying no to the crowd. And you're saying yes to Jesus one on one. Father, we can't do anything of value without your grace. Help us to say yes. Amen. The story goes on and it's punctuated by uh, stories of Jesus touching the unclean. Uh, I love that. I could just dwell there where it's against the law. I just love the way Jesus, he's God, perfect, breaks the law. Anyone struggled with that? It's like, I've heard of bending the rules, but snapping them when you made them. And somehow, isn't the law supposed to define whether we get to heaven or not, but God himself is breaking the law? What's a, let's talk about this Sabbath thing, Jesus. You know, the, the whole thing with the unclean, when, if, you're, if you're clean and you touch someone unclean, you become unclean. He goes over there, he's clean, he touches the unclean, the unclean becomes clean. The greater always flows to the lesser. It's like, this is out of the rules, Jesus. Yep, you need to work around that one. So it goes on, verse 15. The news about Jesus spread all the more, so the crowds of people came. There's more crowds. They hear him to, and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So the more they came, the more he retreated, the more he needed to recenter on the one. The busier your life gets, the more you're going to need to recenter. And then there's this story that happens in there in Luke, after this, uh, Luke verse 17, Luke 5, 17, that challenges your preconception. He's teaching in a synagogue uh, and, and, the, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee, from Judea, Judea and Jerusalem. So they've come 
the Pharisees and the teachers have come. Here's the crowd. Here are the haters. They're going to get on Facebook after this one and they're going to just slam dunk this guy because he's done it all wrong. So the room's full. The crowd is there. And the power of the Lord Jesus was with Jesus to heal the sick. So imagine Jesus. I'm going to say imagine I'm Jesus, but that's too big a stretch. So imagine Jesus is here and, the power, and his power is here, just like it's here today, the power of God, but more so then because it was specific anointing for, for healing. But the crowds come and no one's getting healed. The power was there to heal, but nobody was getting healed. Mindbender. Why? They weren't interested in being healed. They were there to judge. They were a crowd. There was no one-on-one. There was no relationship. There was no love. There was no care. There was no faith. They were just there to poke a finger at him. And so this judgmental mindset, let the buyer beware. You can be in the presence of God's power and time and moment to heal your life and not get it because you've got the wrong attitude. It's completely possible. You say, oh, but grace overwhelms that. No, it doesn't. If you push back on grace, grace won't overflow you. It's available, it's not automatic. You didn't have to become a Christian. You've made that decision. Grace was there, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. We're saved by grace through faith. If you choose not to have faith, guess what? The grace, it's there, available. You've got to take it through faith. So there's always a response, there's always a partnership. That's not the point, that was just a sidetrack, that's a free one. So no, nobody was healed. So it goes on, verse 19. When they could not find a way to do the... Oh, sorry, parentheses. There is some people with faith. They're locked out. There's no room for them because the crowd's inside. So they've got the, the, the guy who's stuck on a mat. I don't know whether the guy on the mat had faith. This is where, where my theology gets twisted a bit. He might have been out to it. I don't know where he was, but his mates had faith, enough that they get up on the roof. And I, I try to picture this without, without having a laugh. But Jesus is preaching away, and down come a few crumbs. And it's like... What was that? Preach, preach, preach. Rocks, brick, kids. It's like, it's chaos. And it's like, what's, how's their form? What's going on? I talk about disrupt the meeting. And, and they lower him down. And he, Jesus says, well, your sins are forgiven. Just not, not worried about the sidetrack at all. They couldn't find a way to, do, to get through because of the crowd. They went up to the roof, lowered him on his mat through the tiles, so this isn't grass, hey, this is through tiles, it's hack, hack, crash, bang. Right in front of Jesus, very disrespectful for a preacher. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Great response. It doesn't say the, the, the guy asked to be forgiven. It didn't say he even asked to be healed. But it's pretty obvious, I guess, they've let him down. There he is, Jesus, what are you going to do? And he just... The guys I've heard who know their stuff said at this moment... The truth was the faith of his friends is what got him healed. Your faith for someone else. I don't know. I wouldn't write a theology around this. I know what the scriptures say right here. But gee, it's worth a go. Your faith for your prodigal kids, your faith for your spouse, your faith for the workplace, your faith for breakthrough. Maybe your faith can activate something in the life of someone else. I've seen this so many times in the, in the life of um, young people wanting to get married to their, to their boyfriend, girlfriend, but they're not a Christian. What do I do? I said, are you prepared to walk away if they don't get saved? 
No, no, no. Yes, okay, okay, now we can pray because now we've got authority. If you're prepared to walk away, if they're, not, if they're an unbeliever, now we'll pray about this thing. Pray over them, Ephesians 3, 16 to 19, that God would reveal himself to them, the size of his greatness, his love, how big he is, how good he is. Let's just pray that God reveals himself and see what happens next. And then you see these moments where God just overrules and reveals himself and they can't, just can't help but give their heart to Christ. That's power in prayer but based on the faith of someone else who's activated that. So is that a theology? I don't know, but it, anecdotally it works sometimes. It seemed to work for this guy. So the crowd was there and the crowd was unimpressed. And this is what happens in crowds. I agree, there's some I don't agree, some people like what I say, some people don't like what I say, some, as I found out last night, put it all over Facebook, you know, it was, no, the other night. You know, it just it happens. It just happens, it's life. Not everyone likes you, not everyone agrees with you, and the more you get the microphone, the more these people pop up. And it happened to Jesus as well. But what I love is, he just did an incredible thing. But the, if you follow the scripture, the next thing he does is he just backs out of the room, walks outside, hits the reset button again, finds a tax collector who just happened to be out there, and says, oi, follow me. Just does the same thing again. Walks away from the crowd, left work undone, and finds the one. And forgive me if you've heard this, me beat this drum before, and I know I do, but this whole thing about one person being important, it just won't let me go. And somehow we've got to build a church that, that makes this in the culture. That you, 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 you cut us open and we bleed this, this idea that you matter, you matter, and, I, and you matter to me, and, and we've got to be connected through this thing. Because I need to be reminded, I'm a normal human too, most of the time, that the crowd is not the goal. It's, it's one person at a time. Your spiritual life is fueled by meeting one-on-one -on -one with this one God who is one. Your calling in life, the best of who you are, is found by giving what you've just received to one person at a time. Stopping for the one, walk slowly through the crowd. So I need to be reminded, perhaps you need to be reminded too, when you relook at your career, uh, your sports, your ambition, why are you investing the money that you're investing, the time that you're investing, the heart, the passion? Is it just because that's just your thing? Or is, is the good robbing you of the great and the people that God's put before you just aren't getting that one-on-one that -on -one with you? I wonder if you've, you've lost that raw desire for God because life will always draw us away. The crowd... The life that we have, the busyness will always draw us away from God, from this one. I wonder if life's done that and it's just time to recalculate. That's what this little message is about. N.T. Wright, one of my most respected theologians, uh, Tom Wright in England, he calls God the heavenly GPS. And uh, I'm hoping your GPS works better than mine because mine maps are five years out of date so it sometimes leads me up wrong paths. But the, but the concept there is that a heavenly GPS knows where home is and if you get off track, you switch on the navigation, take me home, turn left here. I don't want to turn left here. The GPS doesn't get mad at you. It just knows where home is. It says, come home, turn left now. You turn when possible. <laughs> you know. Stop that mess. It's ruining your life. I still love you, but it's wrecking you. Turn around. And the GPS, just stay, it always knows the way. It never gets stressed. It never complains. Unless you've got the Homer Simpson voice, it, it goes off at you. And, uh, um, 
And Darth Vader gets cranky, but the, the normal one, that very polite English lady that we have, you know, turn left now, if you please. And uh, so much of that, and it's, it's a limited allegory, but God just calls you home, but you've got to have your ear to the one. You've got to find that solitary place so you can recalculate again. And I just hope that this morning has just been, an, just been a pause moment for you, just to say, yeah, that's right. I, I, got, I got off track. Lord, take me home. My priorities have been about the wrong things. It seemed good, but it's not the best thing. Father, take me home. You place people in front of me and they really matter and I haven't shown them that this week. Lord, take me home. Let's pray as the band comes up. Let's just come before him. You don't need to pretend. You don't need to impress. He knows. He knows where your heart's been and how it's going. Father, we just, uh, we just lay ourselves before you. Father, we've had just such a wonderful time of worship, of ministry, and it just reminds us, Father, that it's just good to be in your presence. And Lord, it's, it's us who turn away. It's us who turn around and walk away. You never do. So Father, we just uh, hit that recalculate button today and just turn back, lean back into you. Lord, we choose to trust you when life's not making sense. We choose to trust you when things that aren't happening the way we'd like them to uh, don't happen. We love it when you just break through anyway. Father, I just believe there's been miracles done here today. Lord, we just, we just love that we're in your family. We get to spend eternity with you and that starts right now. So Father, will you just fill the hearts of your people? I pray that you'd just show us right now who's the one, Father, who's the one that we need to just lock eyes with and spend a moment with today. Maybe it's someone I haven't contacted for a while. Maybe it's someone who's been right beside me. Help me stop for the one. And before you go, just make a commitment, a plan. How are you going to do just that? Keep it simple. Make a phone call, have a coffee, shake a hand, give a hug. Let someone know they matter today. Father, let your heart fill our hearts and fuel our mission.